Hello and welcome to the show. Today we have Stefan Yons. Did I get that right? Close enough, man. Close. Yeah. It was close. It was close. Okay. <laughs> well, he's the president and owner of Elnick Systems. They do a lot of manufacturing made in the USA. And he's a second generation owner. And Stefan, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here with you, Ben. Thanks for having me out. Um, yeah, the last name's a little hard. Uh, most of the time for 41 years, I've been spelling the last name, most people. So you got close. Good job. <laughs> so give us a little rundown of uh, how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Um, so as you had mentioned, I'm a second generation business owner. So I had the fortunate opportunity as a kid to uh, get involved with the family business a little bit when I was 14. Um it's funny, my dad always told all the guys in the shop, uh, just make sure he goes home with all his fingers and toes and we'll be okay. But all I wanted to do as a kid was drive the forklift, which naturally they didn't let me do because I would have driven holes through things. But um, I worked in and out of this business. We're a manufacturing company, so we build pretty high-tech industrial systems that process metal parts. So I worked in the machine shop. I was kind of everybody's you know, utility guy, or let's call it the shop bitch, did everything that they needed to have done. Worked in the stock room, you know, shipping, receiving everything. And then um, I actually decided I wanted to leave the business and I wanted to do things a little bit my own way. And I got involved in the financial industry for almost five years. And I worked as a planner for Ameriprise, which was used to be American Express. Um, learned a ton. I learned a ton about myself. I learned a ton about management. I learned a ton about people, you know, as we were working with customers that were anywhere from 21 to 91. Uh, and what was really fun is actually getting to know their story, what it is they do, why they get up every day, what makes, you know, what makes them get and go to the jobs that they've created for themselves or, or that they've signed up for. So um, after about four years, I kind of lost a little bit of interest in there. My dad and I are both business students, but we wired to figure out how stuff works. We have a very technical brain. So I decided I wanted to come back and get involved, involved in the business. And uh, I kind of worked in and out of this place for the last 15 years and um, did just about every task under the, under the roof other than welding. And um, now I run the business and it's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. I've, I've helped a lot of my team. I've, I've built incredible relationships with them and, you know, helped transform this business from a, you know, a, a solid manufacturing business with a great product to a bigger manufacturing business with an even better product and an even better exposure across the world with what we do. I think that's awesome. I I personally have a lot of respect for people that learn all the positions within their job. And and I always feel like I come from an industry where I've been the salesperson, been the technician, the manager. You know, I've done it all. I've I've even done, you know, cash out. I've done all of it, right? So, you know, it's very important that you do understand that. And there's a lot of people that are that will talk about just being a manager you know, you don't need to know all that stuff. You just need to manage people. But I always feel it's a lot better and you have a lot more respect from your staff when you are capable of doing all of those positions and you understand or at least have some sort of basic technical knowledge of what's required in that position. All day, man. You know, it, it it's two-sided. So the other side to it, which is really cool, is when you are in a leadership role and you're asking somebody to do something, you don't just say, hey, I need you to do this. It's like, hey, I need you to use these tools and, you know, follow up with these people to get this outcome. So you're you're breaking it down for people into a much more systematic approach because you get it, you know. Um, it's been an absolute joy. And most of the things that I know about every single job is because I had to do it. And many times I took roles as leadership within the organization. I didn't know exactly every role 
that I was going to be responsible for, but I, I was big in learning about the, the roles through engaging the people, right? So if there was a big issue with a piece of equipment we were building, and let's say it was a, a fabrication uh, flaw from a supplier, even from our own side, and we needed to make a decision, a lot of times what I did in order to keep learning is I would pull the three or four people together that knew it the best, and we would just talk it out. You know, my job was really the facilitator of the discussion to come to a conclusion. I didn't always have the answer, but I was at least comfortable enough with myself to help make a decision if I needed to be that deciding, you know, vote, let's just call it. So the most important thing in, in terms of building a team that I've done here, and I think where I've learned and gained the most respect with my team is I've built this like level of belonging and trust with my team by getting them included into decision-making by getting them included with, you know, the direction we're trying to make either for the business or for a specific project. And that's getting people to have a little bit of buy-in in there and, and be able to say, I went home and Hey, I was the one who made this decision towards that makes people feel good about themselves and it makes them feel like they're part of something. So it's been a lot of fun that way. I think it's very important that you are included in that decision-making. I mean, I worked this one job where they brought in every single regional manager for an actual meeting and they didn't tell me about it at all. Okay. Like nobody told me about it. I was very upset and I found out by fluke that the meeting even happened. And because of that, it actually ended up starting the, the uh, basically me exiting from that company. Right. Because we were in a new market, they just felt that it wasn't a costly expense to bring me in. So instead of telling me, hey, we're having a meeting, we're not going to bring you in because you're still in a new market and this kind of affects the established markets. Right. And I would have respected that decision, but it wasn't communicated to me at all. So I think that's great that you're you're bringing people in, having that those conversations, especially the people that that have that experience. It's very important. People want to be included in the decision making. And I think that's, I think that's great. So yeah, let's get let into, one oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. One more thing to that. So what, what I've learned is, and you know, like I said, kind of the, 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 the high level to it is like to foster belonging and trust is through inclusivity. The important thing to know is being included is not always going to be your, your decision or your, your topic is the thing that's going to actually make the difference. A lot of times, especially if you're working with teams, is you want to get everybody to be involved in the decision-making in terms of wanting to contribute something to help make the decision. So what I've learned is, you know, not everybody likes to speak in groups. People like to speak a little bit more individually. So if you do have like a team or group meeting and someone on that group isn't contributing during the group side, is take a moment to have a conversation with them on the side, then build your list of all the things that we want to make a decision around and if one or two of those things that are on that list is from someone that's not going to be made in the decision or it is not going to be included in what the direction is going to be, that's okay. The important thing, and this is something I'm a huge believer in in life, is setting expectations for people. So when you have this conversation and you get all this feedback, before you just go present the information, what I've found to be very effective is pull those people aside that might have given you some information and advise them why what they've offered may not be part of the direction and may not be part of the solution, but it's a great idea and you're really supportive and helpful and grateful that they provided you some input in terms of what it could be. So if you're clear and thanking them for contributing, 
but this is why the decision is currently not going to go or the decision is not going to include that part to it, but it's okay. It's going to be, you know, possibly included later. It allows them to feel like they were heard and they've gotten the information, you know, across to the leadership of the business. And it, it's not a bad thing that it didn't get included, but maybe for the next time when they want to do a project or when you need their help, they'll continue to speak up and include themselves because you at least gave them the level of respect. It's like, this is a great idea, but it doesn't apply towards this right now because this is the intended outcome. This would take us down a different path. So always be open and communicate that. Don't just receive information, find ways to give that stuff back and close the circle with people because you want them to continue to contribute. So that's really, really important is not all ideas always make it you know, into the final direction, but all ideas are good and all ideas should be considered and talked about. Yeah, no, I think that's that's great advice because a lot of times I know over the years you have a meeting and you notice there's a few people that won't say anything. And right. you always want to go ask, so what do you think about what we talked about today, right? And, you know, sometimes people feel like it's going to create conflict if they bring it up in a group setting. They're scared, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, so I think that's awesome that, you're, that you are doing that. It's very good leadership. Yeah. So... Let's talk about situational leadership a little bit. That's something I know you're really passionate about. So yeah. why don't you give us some ideas of how you implement that in your your day-to-day? -day? Great. Love this question. Love this topic. So um, situational leadership was um, something I learned many, many years ago when I was back in finance. And basically what situational leadership has taught me is how to understand either a new employee's cycle from going brand new to becoming a veteran within your organization, or let's say a, a super impactful, super committed kind of employee, but you can also apply it to a customer base too. So I'll talk about a little bit from the employee perspective, and then we can go through a sale, you know, a customer side if we want to. But the idea is, is like, we just, for example, we just hired a brand new employee. He started with us on Monday. Dude's super excited, right? He's here. He's got high energy. He loves what we're working on. He loves the concept of what he decided to join into, but he has zero competence around what we're doing. He brings skills to the table from an engineering perspective. And that's really, really good for us because we're going to gain some nice outside perspective and things that we might not have thought about. But when it comes to our specific area, his competence level is zero, right? So, or just above zero, let's just say. So if competence is low and commitment is high, what you need to understand is you need to offer them a different level of uh, leadership than someone who's been here for maybe two, three years and their competence is high and their commitment's high. So if you think about an X, Y axis and the X axis being more directive uh, leadership and the Y axis being more supportive leadership, you can think about how these four boxes or let's call them quadrants work. So on the more directive right side, but low on the supportive, you have this S1, what they call it. And that's a high commitment, low competence person. And a high commitment, low competence person, you need to hold their hand. You need to show them step-by-step step what they need to do. This is the processes you need to use. This is the program. This is how it works. And that's fine, right? You need to understand that's how you need to lead this person at that time. Once you get them out of an S1, you're still in that high directive support or it's directive leadership side, but now you move up into what's called S2. So you need both high directive and high supportive leadership. And the idea around that is now that person went from uh, high commitment, low competence to low commitment, low competence. And this is the challenging spot for most employees or customers, if you think about it. But what he, what happens here is 
the honeymoon phase is over. You know, the excitement of a new job is over. The excitement of meeting all these new people is over. And what's happening is they don't, they still don't know exactly what they're supposed to be working towards and on. They're getting it a little bit, but they're not there yet. And because their honeymoon is over, their commitment is now down. So a person that's in that S2 quadrant needs a lot of directions. You still need to hold hands. You still need to walk them through the processes, but you need to coach them, right? So the first one is one by one. Your S1 is basically step-by-step -step instructions. S2 is step-by-step -step instructions with an understanding of why are we doing this? What is the outcome going to be? What are the expectations if you perform these steps this way? So it's still high hand-holding, but now you're acting like a good coach. So think back in your life of the good coaches you had around you. They're, they're coaching you over the challenging situations. They know your outcome is going to be be in this you know, situation or let's just say this end result. And they know you don't see it yet, but they know they're going to work you through to get you to that spot. So a good coach is one that can see your outcome and help you get there, but help you understand how to overcome the challenges to get to that spot. So once you move out of S2, which is that top white right quadrant of the thing, high directive, high supportive, you go to S3, and S3 is still high supportive, but now your directive leadership goes down. And the point there is now the person's competent is starting to go up because what you do to get someone out of S2 into S3 is you start to get them little wins. You help them you know, with a project. You let them do a little bit of it, and you let them complete and get a win there. And now you're building their confidence up, which means you're building their competence up within the project or their job. Now, the challenge there is their competence is starting to grow, but their commitment is variable. And the reason it's variable is because they're nervous about making a decision if it means something for what the outcome of the business should be or the direction. Or maybe they're nervous about putting a marketing plan together because they don't want to screw something up based on the legacy of the organization. So when you go out of this coaching role, you, you go now into this top left quadrant, S3. And what that really is, is it's more of a supportive um, a supportive role. So you're giving them guidance towards how to complete stuff. You're giving them direction about what the expectation should be and what the outcome should look like and understanding them or helping them understand a little bit of how that works, but you're not doing the tasks for them. You're not making all the decisions. You're saying, this is where we want to go. This is what the process should look like. Put some stuff together. Let's come back. Let's talk about it. Um, let's review and then let's implement to it. Right? So then when you get someone from an S3, to an S4, which is the bottom left quadrant, low support, low directive. Now you're basically sitting there. All you're doing is you're delegating, right? So that's where we all want to get to as a leader. We want to get people onto our team. We want to get them across this threshold to a point where they can be self-sufficient because they understand the mission. They're competent in their tasks. They're committed to the organization and they're driving basically what the mission of the business is. And what you're saying as the leader, it's like, Hey, this is the scenario right now. I have this customer. We need to have this result happen. And I need you to make sure it happens by Friday. And now you can say, can you, you know, can you please go accomplish this and come back and just let me know it's done. So if you understand and break down to, and if, if anybody's around and you want to just Google it, it's called situational, situational leadership. And it's about going from a directing through coaching into supporting and then into a delegating mindset as a leader. And the more you can recognize where an employee is in that quadrant, it lets you do, you it lets you make a decision on the fly about how you need to help this person, how you need to lead this person. If you got a person who's you know super strong in commitment and, and competence, and you're going over there holding their hand through the process, they might feel a little bit slighted 
because they're like, why, why is this person trying to do all the work for me? Do they respect me? Do they have problems? And it's, you know, spurs this bigger issue. And then same thing on the other side, if you're looking at a new employee and you're like, Hey, I need you to do this by Friday, but they have no clue how to do it. They're going to get a little bit lost. So it's giving you this ability to kind of make a snap judgment on, okay, this person's in this quadrant, this quadrant, let me change the way I'm going to lead this person through their process. Um, it's been a, a phenomenal tool that I've used a lot myself. You know, I'm working to implement that through my team and, and get my managers a little bit more on board with how this works so that as we grow and as we're moving, like I said to you earlier, we're going to be moving into a new business and a new building, and we're going to be onboarding some new team members. And the more my team knows this, it's going to allow us to direct our energies in a much more concentrated fashion. It's great. Yeah. You really need to understand the employee cycle, right? Because if you don't understand the employee cycle, then you're just all over the place, right? And it's yeah. not organized. So, so the thing is like something you did touch on there is you did talk about the mission. So when you're going through all these phases, do you find that uh, having a mission statement and purpose really helps drive home this leadership style? Absolutely. So what I've found personally that works so well with this is when we're sitting in a situation and a, and a, let's say something comes up, right? Uh, it's a new product or it's a customer issue or whatever it is. If we analyze what's going on and how we want to possibly solve this problem, if you have the ability to say, does this sit in, does this solution sit in line with what our company mission is? If you tie things back to the company mission and the more repetitively you do that, the people that are on your team are going to start to make decisions based on the mission of the company, not just based on them as people. And if you as the leader always tie things back to company mission, company mission, it's going to make life within your company much more exciting because people are now coming here because, man, we got to get this done. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is our goal, whether it's one year, five year, 10 year, is, is the decision I'm currently making within my department, my team or my project, is it in line with where we're going? And the more and more you reinforce that, the more and more you're going to build a team of people that really, really care about what they're doing. They're really going to care about your organization. And it's going to give you, the leader, the ability to kind of walk back from the day-to-day -day of what the people are doing and work more on, on how the business is growing and what that future vision is doing. And that's something I've developed a little bit over the last three, four years and why we've grown so much in the last three years and why we've you know, had a team that's much more directed towards what our company mission is. Nice. And so... Another thing as part of all this situational leadership, and we're talking about mission statement, do you have core values that you implement and, and try and empower your staff or team to, to make decisions based off core values? Absolutely. Um, core values is something um, I think I've really reinforced as, as you and I have joined Arte, you know, I've been around for a while. It's really drove home the value proposition of what core values are going to do for a business. If you continually use those as how you make decisions and how you look at things, it's stuff we've done before. We always had like these couple of word taglines on the business, quality, innovation, and excellence, right? Those are words we've always used within our business. But while I always use them as ways like, hey, you know, if I'm walking out, for example, we build equipment and the equipment's got anywhere from 1,200 to 1,500 parts on it, including screws and nuts and bolts. There's dials, there's gauges, there's all these things. When I go out and look at a piece of equipment before a customer comes in house, I'm looking at everything. I'm looking at the dial. Is the 12 o'clock position or the, 
you know, is, is everything perfectly lined up? If it's a little bit off, even a degree or two, I grabbed the guy who installed and I said, hey, let's talk about this for a minute. You know, what's off here? And I try to see if they recognize it so that it spurs within them the next time they work on it, that it gets better. Um, so for me, I've always been driving quality home without the, without the idea that that's my core value, but that's just what we stand for. So now, you know, which is basically what a core value is, right? It's what you stand for. So I've reinforced the wording around it and it's something I do every single day. And it's, it's allowed me to, within the business, have conversations with people about, again, the business side of it, not the person side of it. It's like, why, why is, why does this dial not look good? What are we not achieving with this? We are achieving a low quality perspective and it's not, what are you doing wrong? It's what are we not doing right as a team? Right. So if you take it out and say, we, as a team, if you have the ability to have a team, if you have that conversation, it takes away that one, one-on-one -on -one kind of aggression that some people feel when somebody's, you know, coming to them and be like, Hey, you did something wrong. It's, Hey, this, we didn't do this right together. Right. Even though you did this step, but other people might not have mentioned it to you or the leader might not have seen it, the shop manager, whoever's walking around. But if, 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 if it's constantly brought up and it's constantly in front of people's faces, they're going to be thinking about it as they go install something, or they're going to be thinking about it as they're going to build a new, you know, marketing uh, image, right. Or whatever the project is that you're working on, the more and more you drive those things home, the more your team starts to make decisions based on them too. So I'm going to say something here. So what you did was inspect what you expect. Absolutely. Right. And this is a very big thing that, that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs will miss Right. And, you know, we've been talking about a lot actually within within Arte as well. But I mean, I just think about one of the companies I used to work for for about 10 years, the owner for many years would stick his head under the dash and look at how it's wired. And if it wasn't right, he would come up to you, give you the keys and you already knew what you had to do. You already knew that you had to fix it. He didn't even have to say anything. But what happened when I got there about a year into my 10 years, mm -hmm. that owner was kind of exiting out, not exiting out, like selling, but he was like, you know, I put in 40 years into this company, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm passing it on. I'm giving it to other people, you know, while his brothers and stuff like that. And, you know, you know, you coming from second generation ownership, it's good to hear and see that you are inspecting what you expect, which means you're going to raise the standards of that. So, so to kind of get into being a second generation owner now, mm -hmm. is, is that your kind of goal is to, you know, you know, inspect what you expect and, and what are some of the, I guess, what are some of the challenges or some of the positives of being a second generation owner? Great question. Um, <laughs> little... I'd say the, the common misconception of a second generation owner is that that person is going to come in and just kind of milk the company, use it for, you know, use it for their financial wallet. And, you know, they'll do some things, they'll go through the motions and some people do okay. Some people don't do okay. And they're kind of what I've seen, like a lot of people get into that business because the parents want them to get into it. It's not that they want to get into it. Right. So if unless you as a second generation owner of a business have a desire for what that business is going to become and you have a true interest and a passion in it, it's never going to be what you can make it. Right. Like if if all day long, all you want to do is be involved in making scuba diving gear. Right. And you're in a job of putting together, I don't know, 
close or something like that, because that's where your family business is, it's not in line with your passions. And if, if your passion isn't understood to a point where you know how to apply it to any area of the world and any area of business, it gets a little challenging, right? But not everybody has a passion which is broad enough. So for me, working through finance, being in and out of this business, one of the things that I've learned about myself that I care so much about, and in some ways it's a weakness, but I've turned it into a strength, is I really love helping people right? So I love helping my team. I love helping my customers. I love going the extra mile for getting them information and saying, hey, great that you have this piece of equipment from us. What are you doing here, 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 and here across the entire production chain? And most furnace companies that make equipment, they don't ask those questions, but I'm asking it to help prevent problems before things get to my equipment. So I really, really care um, more than most. And I have a very favorite saying that those who care more win more. That's been a saying of mine for a long time. That was the theme of our, our holiday party that we had last year. Um, and it's something I continue to push. So it's kind of, for me, what I realized coming into this business as a second generation owner is most people are going to look at me as the father's son, the owner's son. And, you know, yeah, I worked in and out of here since I was 14. And some of those guys actually are still part of the team, which is really cool. But in order for me to one day take over the leadership of this business and lead this team is I got to show these guys that I'm going to work my ass off, right? So every single role that I was in, I would always tackle a different project, you know, that I see in the business that was, you know, struggling a little bit. Or when there was an opportunity to take on a more challenging role, for example, our field service manager back in, this is on 09, I think it was, 09 or 10. Um, he had moved to California with his wife. She took a new job out there and we kept him on board as a field service technician, but we needed an in-house person to be a leader and a manager. And in the finance business, I actually wanted to get involved in the management role within that company, but they changed the trajectory of how it works and compensation, all these things. And it actually wasn't really in line with what I was believing anymore. So this role popped up and I was like, you know, looking around, we had other service technicians that were good technical, but they weren't ready to take over that leadership. I didn't know the first thing about the technical side of the business, but I knew people. And I was like, I'll take it. You know, I can run in and schedule people, set priorities, let them know I'm there for them and help them with whatever they need to do. And I'm already kind of communicating with customers. So I've got this understanding of what the requirements of the role are. And through being their leader, and really, this is the most important thing is when you're a leader on a business or in a business, you work for your team. And I would like, for, I have an interesting analogy. We've had some challenges over, you know, over the 15 years I've been here with different people that worked in our stock room. And it was a mindset shift, like a stock room. If you have something like that within your business, you're inside a cage. Usually there's a closed door and you got all these parts around you. And a lot of times what people need to realize is if you're in that role, the employees of the business who need the parts to build your, your product, they're your customer. So you got to treat them that way. And I did a lot of the same things as I was working through, you know, different roles. So when I was running field service, our operations management role opened up. Same thing. We didn't know exactly who to take from the company and within to, to promote to that role. I was like, I'll do it. What do I need to do? I need to set priorities. I need to make sure people know what they're working on. I need to make sure they're being safe. I need to make sure we're meeting our deadlines and meeting our goals and so forth. So it gave me this trajectory through the business where not only was I doing the individual tasks, but I was now getting more involved in the business end of the projects that we were doing. So it's given me this ability to see things from both sides. And now, like we said a little bit earlier, when I'm sitting with people and I'm having conversations, they know when I'm asking for something, it's like, if, you know, 
this is what we need to do and what we need to accomplish. And these are the steps we should do to get there. And it's coming from a place because I've actually done it before. And it's coming from a place that, you know, I want to either lead them to become, you know, bigger roles within the organization and teach them more things. Um, but it's given me this level where I've given so much respect to the teammates that I had in all the different roles that I was in that it's allowed me to move through this business. And now, like I was, it's funny I, when, before my dad really kind of retired from the business, which was a couple of years ago, I was always nervous. Like, you know, he's going to get older one day and eventually like all people, we, you know, we pass, we die. I'm like, what am I going to do when he goes, you know, how am I going to run this business? He's not going to be around. And I was really nervous about it for a while. But over the last four or five years, I've really worked towards gaining more and more respect from the teammates that they would now come to me to discuss things, to solve problems and get things moving. So I was like, wow, this is actually working. I've got this you know, level of respect and earning uh, that I've earned with the team. And I'm showing them that I'm going to grind you know, as hard as I possibly can for them um, to get things done. And now I'm sitting here running the business. It's been a phenomenal you know, three years through probably one of the more challenging parts of our world with COVID and the way the world's kind of behaving itself and companies grown more than double. And it's, it's been an amazing thing. And while I certainly, you know, certainly miss my dad coming to work every day and, you know, leaning on him for questions and so forth, I got him on speed dial. So if I need to call him, I certainly can, but um, I'm, I'm not nervous about running the business anymore. I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to help my team's lives get better. And this is also part of the, why we're, we're making the move is, you know, outside of business growth and business cost, there's a lot of lot of good opportunity for my teammates to take a next step in their life. You know, having saving, you know, saving money by cost of living going from New Jersey to Carolina, um, being able to buy a home, get a better apartment, you know, start saving more money towards things you want to do down the road. And oh, hey, by the way, there's a ton of really good universities around this area that if your kids want to go there now, you got in-state tuition. So I'm always trying to figure out what can I do for my team? How can I help them? How can I make their lives better? And by shifting my mindset to that, which I've done a long time ago, it's given me this ability to have this like amazing relationship with my team. And, and there's never a question of, oh, this guy's here just for the money. It's, man, this guy's going to lead this business and he's going to take us to another level. And it's really exciting and rewarding. This is basically what you're talking about is being a servant leader to your yeah. team. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. no, I, great way to summarize it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on. Do you have any final words of wisdom for for our listeners? Oof. <laughs> I'll go back to what I would have said before. Those who care more win more. Um, that's a really big thing for me these days because um, when you come with a point, when you come from a place of caring, and you come from a place of good intention, which caring typically is. Um, it's noticeable for people, you know, they understand where you are, where you're coming from. And as people recognize how much you care about them, they're going to start caring back to you and they're going to get your back. They're going to look out for you. They're going to go to bat for you. They're going to help you in every way under the sun. And I mean, I've seen specifically here, you know, people that are newer to the team working close to the same amount of hours that I'm working, you know, and it's not expected. You don't have to be here the crazy hours that I work, but People are grinding. They're putting the effort and the time in because they recognize that one, I care about them and making their lives better. And now they're caring a lot more about the company and the mission and what we're trying to do. And it's just this mutual level of, dude, I care about this place and I want to make this place better. I want to make this place more amazing. And I want to grow this business for, you know, obviously our, our own individual benefits, but for the industry really. And how can we do things, um, you know, to transform that stuff? So 
those who care more win more. Remember that philosophy. Yeah, no, I love that because, you know, Andy Frisella always says like he gets asked all the time on the podcast, how do I make it look like I care? What's like the quick, rich, you know, rich, quick hack to, to make it look like I care about my customers. And he's like, there's no rich, there's no quick, rich hack. You actually have to care. Right. <laughs> right. You can't make it look like it. You got to do it. So, no, that's awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. I really do appreciate your time. I think our listeners are going to, going to love this. Awesome. Ben, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me here, man. And uh, it's great to get to know you a little bit more too. Thanks.